into the tomb of Jesus. The stone was moved and he had gone away. The angel said, fear not, I know whom seek ye. But he is risen, this she heard him say. Gone, the stone is rolled back, gone. The tomb is empty, gone. To sit at the Father's side. Gone, over death triumphant, gone. Sin is defeated, gone. He lives forevermore. My friend, if you don't know the risen Savior, I beg of you, don't wait too late to pray. Don't wait until his bride has been completed. Don't wait until you hear him say it's too late. Gone, the stone is rolled back. Gone, the tomb is empty. Gone, to sit at the Father's side. Gone, over death triumphant. Gone, sin is defeated. Gone, he lives forevermore. Gone, the stone is rolled back. Gone, the tomb is empty. Gone, to sit at the Father's side. Gone, over death triumphant. Gone, sin is defeated. Gone, he lives forevermore. He lives forevermore. Amen. That's a great song, isn't it? Yeah, it's got a great message to it. We sure love it. Sure love it. Well, we wanted to say thank you, both Sherry and I. We just appreciate all that you did. I appreciate that little heart attack I had up here, too. Uh, I was seeing the video afterwards, and man, I'll tell you what, I, I did not realize I could still move that quick. I mean, that, that's major cat-like reflexes. I don't know. That was just self-preservation, really. Let's be honest, right? But uh, anyway, we can't, we can't thank you enough for your, just your outpouring of love and kindness and generosity. And God was so good to us through the years, and you just continue to prove to us uh, just uh, how much you love us. We appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. Uh, we're, I was shocked. I, I, I had no clue, none at all. And people think that I lie when I say those things. They're like, ah, you had to know something. I really didn't. That, that caught me completely off guard, especially when a couple of those weirdos came out on the stage. <clears throat> I didn't know what was going on, man. That was, you, I took my glasses off because I was expecting to get plowed. Now, if you don't know those characters from 20, 15, 17, 12 years ago, they were always plowing people with those big red gloves, and I just thought for sure I was going to get knocked out. So I took the glasses off just uh, to make sure I didn't have to buy a new pair. But anyway, uh, we appreciate that. Thank you so much. It was, a, it was a lot of fun in one way, and it was kind of strange in another. But anyway... <laughs> 
Oh, man. It was something else. Okay, so anyway, it's memorable. Put it that way. I'll not forget that one anytime soon. All right. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. We've been addressing and dealing with Satan, and um, we've got our uh, uh, revival coming up. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Brother Moon will be preaching for us, and that's the game plan. I haven't heard any different. We're excited about that, looking forward to it. I always like Brother Moon. He's so genuine, he's so real, and he's, he's so uh, excited about souls. I mean, he's the real deal, let me tell you. He's, he's out on the front lines, man, leading folks to Christ all the time. He's just fired up for the Lord. I'm excited to hear from him again and looking forward to spending some time with him. Revelation chapter 12, but today we're going to kind of knock this out a little bit. Hopefully we can finish this up, this one little section but uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, of course, we read there in that particular passage. It says, And the great dragon was cast out to the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast down into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Again, we don't want to spend a lot of time focusing on Satan for the sake of focusing on him. Our goal, of course, is to expose Satan. He is our adversary. He's our enemy. And we want to familiarize ourselves with our enemy that we might better defend ourselves and even attack more effectively. And so we've noted through these weeks that he's a created being, that he was an exalted angel, that he became very proud and he rebelled against God. We noticed a number of things like his origin, his personality, his character, his activities. And tonight we want to ask the question, is Satan's power unlimited? Is Satan's power unlimited? And I know tonight in this crowd, an educated Christian crowd, you're going to go immediately and say, no way, it's not. And you would be absolutely right. But I still want to share some of the thoughts that we have tonight, just see if we can't learn something today that will better equip us for the battle ahead. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll move along in our service. We're excited. We've got a baptism tonight. It's exciting. Looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a few moments. Father, bless us. We need you. Thank you for the privilege it is to gather in your house. Lord, be with the message tonight. Lord, may this teaching, Father, truly inspire us and encourage us. May we be instructed in a way, Lord, that it will enable us to be more effective in attacking and defending ourselves against our adversary, the devil. Lord, bless us now and teach us from your blessed book. Now protect us. Put a hedge about us here. Or anytime we are dressing and dealing with Satan especially, we, Father, don't take that for granted. We need your supernatural hedge of protection about us. And we beg you now, Father, to do just that. Thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. But Lord, we in no way think somehow that we can take Satan on ourselves. Lord, we need you, your precious, perfect blood and power. Lord, just tonight... Keep us safe now as we expose the devil for who and what he really is. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> Satan is always under the control of God, really, when it's all said and done. We're reminded of this truth in the life of Job. We talked about this the other day, but we see these examples in the life of Job. We noted that early on in Job chapter 1, verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. 
So he goes there and he says, as you considered my servant Job. And of course, Satan says, uh, well, yeah, uh, let, me think, uh, let me take a look at this guy. And Jesus, uh, the Lord finally says, well, that's fine. You're, you're welcome to him. Um, all that he hath is in thy power. But again, upon himself, put not forth thine hand. We see that his power is limited then there. We see in chapter 2 the same thing. Verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. Once again, there's a condition here. Satan's power was limited to God's permission. Satan could only operate within the parameters that God had set, that he had already laid out. It may be uh, kind of, um, it may not be relevant to the topic itself, but I do think it's important and I think we'd be uh, uh, remiss not to address Job's response. I don't know why, but every time we think about what God allowed Satan to do in the life of Job, I just get inspired when I think about the response of Job in the midst of that. In Job chapter 1, verse 12, just turn there. you, you got to see it for yourself. And I know some of you may already know it, and maybe you even memorized it, but boy, look at this, to think how Job responded in the midst of such, oh, amazing uh, persecution and just uh, attack, trial, and tribulation. Uh, boy, I just, uh, wow, amazing. Look at, look at how he responds in the midst of it. Again, Satan is given permission to wreak havoc in Job's life, there is limited power there. Oh, he has great power. Don't misunderstand me, the devil does. But it is limited. It's in check. He operates within the parameters that God has set. And so notice what it says here in Job 1.12, how he responds. And the Lord said this, uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, I think I've, I redid verse 12 real quick, but I don't need it. So go to verse 20. And then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and he what? He worshipped. And that's something. He worshipped. He worshipped. And said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Boy, what a commentary on the response of Job in verse 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job 13, 15. Notice what he says here. Look at Job 13, 15. Again, Satan's power is limited. His power is at the discretion of God. We know that God could wipe him out at any moment, and one day he will, in a sense, but right now there's grace being extended to mankind, and it would even appear grace extended to the devil to some degree to fulfill the will and purpose of God. Notice Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's amazing, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that's, a, that's some uh, powerful faith on display right there. Isn't that wonderful? 
So we see here in the case of Job that Satan's power is limited. Another example of Satan's limited power seen in the life of Peter. Take your Bible, look over at Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Notice what the passage says, Luke twenty two thirty one. It's at the end, of course, of the life of, uh, of the, the, the ministry of Christ. And uh, we see here that he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now again, notice that Jesus is speaking, and it's interesting to note, too, that he uses the word Simon, the name Simon. Not only did he repeat the name, but the name he used was Peter's old name. He had already told him, that's not your name anymore, but now here we see him using it. Obviously, the Lord was trying to get his attention, trying to emphasize the danger that Peter was in. I mean, really, hey, by the way, uh, I just want Simon, Simon. And he's like, what? What, what, what you call that's my original name here. Maybe that's the one he probably... Everywhere he went, he probably, maybe he snapped up when he heard that name. Maybe he remembers his mama crying, Simon! I don't know, but either way, Jesus says, Simon, Simon! And he says, uh, hey, I want you to know right now, this is serious business. Serious business. I mean, the adversary is after you, buddy. And uh, Satan is stalking you, my friend. And he says, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now again, I don't know, Satan must have sense the potential greatness of Peter. It would be Peter, of course, who would ultimately speak on the day of Pentecost and we'd see 3,000 souls come to Jesus Christ. And before that happened, however, Satan would like to have done to Peter what he was about to do to Judas, which was basically make him a suicide statistic. He would have loved to have seen Peter get so discouraged and so turned in, in, uh, outside in or inside out that he finally just threw his hands in the air and said, I, I don't know what to do. I can't take it no more. I'm out of here. But that's not how it turned out, is it? Again, Satan had already been given permission to try him. Little did Peter know how greatly he was about to be tempted. He had no clue. But we know that Jesus would tell Peter in verse 32 of the same chapter, he'd say, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. The Lord was praying for Peter. And during the next three days, of course, all the disciples would be tested to the very limits of their faith. We know that when Jesus Christ dies on Calvary, they just took off, they scurried away, Right? They hid themselves. But Peter was a very special target, wasn't he? He didn't realize how quickly and how badly he would fall. Before the cock crew, Peter denied the Lord three times, didn't he? So why did Jesus allow Satan to attack Peter so severely? Why would he permit something like that in the life of one of his own? Well, it had to be so that he might emerge stronger on the other side and be in a position to strengthen the brother later on. Notice he said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, when I brought you through, strengthen the brethren. Strengthen them. 
You're going to be one that's going to stand up and you're going to go ahead and encourage them in the battle, and in the fight. But you're going to have to be tested yourself. You're going to have to be battle-proven. And so many times in our own lives, we, we really don't want to be battle-tested, do we? We would prefer everything to go super smoothly. I mean, I know I would. But unfortunately, that's not how the, the Christian life goes, is it? As soldiers, the devil is a fighting us, and he is our adversary, and the devil is limited in his power based on God's scope of authority, but God allows and gives permission sometimes for us to be tested and tempted by the devil in order that we too may emerge stronger than before and enable, enable to encourage the brethren. I mean, what are the most powerful testimonies you've heard that have helped your life? It's from somebody that's gone through something that you thought, I hope I never have to. So in what ways do we see Satan's power limited then? Well, number one, we talked about this the other week, but we have to mention it at least. Satan can tempt us, but he cannot make us sin. And we discussed that last week, right? He, he, he can tempt us, but he can't make us sin. And we turn to James chapter 1, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And we said that mankind in his flesh does a pretty good job on his own straying from God. But then Satan enters in, magnifies the temptation. He simply flames the fires and, of desire and, and, and that already exists within the heart of mankind. It's kind of Fans those flames, doesn't he? He fans the flames. Boy, I'll tell you what, he's good at that. He says, again, James 1.14 says that men are tempted when they're drawn away by their own lust. So a person must take responsibility then for their own misconduct. As wicked as Satan is, we can't blame him really. I mean, we can definitely say, he, he didn't help anything out, but we can't say the devil made me do it. He didn't make you do anything. He didn't make me do anything. I made a conscious decision to sin against the holy God that saved my soul. He may have flamed the fires of desire within us, but he didn't make a sin. So Satan's power is not unlimited. Number two, Satan can hinder me but he cannot stop me in the will of God. He can hinder, but, but, but we're going to see he can't halt things. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church of Thessalonica now. Notice what he's going to say to them. We're going to compare that to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, a passage that you probably have heard many times, may even have memorized. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, notice the passage here. The Apostle Paul speaking says, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. I don't know about you, but that hindered seems that he's causing a lot of havoc. He's, he's causing, keeping him from being able to accomplish what he really intended to or wanted to. He hindered us. He's messing things up. And the truth is that Satan may hinder some things. But in Philippians 4.13, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
So the fact is, is that we are, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Now, he can hinder us if he, if he, all he likes, but in the, in the end, it's not going to be that hindering that keeps us from accomplishing what God wants for us because we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. He may hinder, but he can't halt the work of God. He may, uh, 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 I mean, Paul may have been kind of hindered from visiting the church at Thessalonica as he had hoped to, but the ministry continued to thrive. And we know that Satan didn't keep things from going in the right direction. You know, we're reminded of those Jews, again, that we talked about on Sundays who were under order of King Cyrus. Remember, they returned to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple, to reestablish the worship, to ultimately resurrect the city again? They were confronted with satanic opposition. They were hindered. And they allowed that opposition to halt the work that they had started on behalf of God. For 16 years, the work of rebuilding ceased. Satan may have hindered, but you know what? He did not have the power to halt the work. That was a decision that was made by them. They decided to halt the work. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates that God was in on that. Because what we find later on in Haggai, of course, just a few verses later, is that they were there building their own houses while the house of God was falling to shambles, had never been invested in as God intended. Oh, they started strong, but they didn't finish the job. Satan hindered them, opposed them, but he couldn't have halted the work. They chose to do that. And that's why in the New Testament, we are admonished by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's why, because he knows, and so does the Lord, that we are going to be hindered by Satan. He is going to do all he can to trip us up, slow us down, and keep us from moving forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is not able. He is not unlimited in his power. He is limited. Then number three, Satan can persecute and even cast us down, but he cannot destroy us. He can't destroy us. In 2 Corinthians, turn there, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Man, have you ever felt cast down by the devil? I mean, I'm not talking about out for the count. I'm just talking about you just know he leveled you. Man, it was like you was on a football field and that big old tackle came around the end and you happened to get blindsided. I mean, he knocked you for a loop, took you off your feet, sent you five yards through the air. And there you are trying to wake up at the bottom of a pile somewhere, get back up on your feet and you say, man, he leveled me. That dude... Woo, cast me down good. <laughs> well, the devil maybe will knock us around a little bit, but he can't destroy us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. We are troubled on every side, the Apostle Paul said, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Hey, he was troubled on every side, yet not distressed. You know, it's not too difficult to imagine 
Uh, well, I, I think it is difficult, really. I think we can't even wrap our mind around the, the uh, trials and the tribulations that the Apostle Paul endured during his life in, min- in ministry here on earth. He was extremely troubled in Iconium. He was troubled there as the mob sought his very life. He narrowly escaped, only to preach in Lystra, where there he'd be stoned, drug outside the city, and appear to rise from the dead. It seemed that everywhere Paul went, he was troubled on every side, but he was not distressed. You say, what do you mean? Well, that word distressed here expresses the idea of being in a narrow place. See, with Paul there, there there was always an upward look. He may have been hard-pressed, but he wasn't boxed in. Man, he could look up always, and he knew that God was on his side. Again, he was troubled on every side, but he was not distressed. You couldn't box him in. You couldn't hold him down. He was perplexed, he said, but not in despair. Again, we see this with Paul and Silas as they traveled through the region of Galatia. They tried to go south to Asia, remember Sunday school classes? But they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Then they tried to go north to Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of God would not allow it. So not south, not north, where did God want them to go? Finally, God provides a vision of the man of what? Macedonia, the Macedonian man. And off to Philippi they go where they meet a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia uh, would be the first convert, it appears, of the church at Philippi. And she would ultimately open her house up as the, 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 the center of operations for the local church. What a miraculous start to the Philippian church. And despite all of this, The Bible says Paul was not in despair. The fact that he didn't know which way to go at times. He didn't always have clear direction for a few moments. He had to pray. He had to seek God's face. The Bible says he was perplexed at times, but not in despair. See, that word despair means at a loss. He may have been at a loss, but he was not not all lost. (laughs) All was not lost. See, he may have been doubtful which way to take, but he always found an open door, you know? Paul was not hopeless because he knew God was guiding him. Man, I mean, he was perplexed at times, but not in despair. Which way do you want me to go, God? What do you want me to do next? Man, that can be perplexing. But he didn't get despaired about it. He knew God was leading all the way. Closed door, open door, didn't matter. I'm just waiting on God, and it'll be okay. He was persecuted, he says, but not forsaken. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. An amazing passage when you start to think about what we endure as Christians. The Apostle Paul, his life and the many trials that he faced are summarized here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 24. Crazy, isn't it? Watch this. This is just beyond comprehension. Give me just one or two of these things. I'd have probably been uh, losing my mind, if you will. Look at what he endures. Obviously, he had to have the grace of God in his life. Notice 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. 
I don't know about you, but you get beat 40 with uh, uh, 39 stripes five times. I got to believe there's, that's going to leave a mark. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Wow, what a resume of suffering. Such a burden to bear, and yet he bore it. The very strength needed to bear this burden was provided by Christ himself, who the Bible says, and Christ himself said, I will never forsake you, Paul. While writing to the Romans, Paul made that very clear. In Romans chapter 8, turn there now. Because, see, he was indeed persecuted, but he was never forsaken. And Paul the Apostle knew that. And there are times when we are going through difficult times, and we may feel that God is a million miles away, but, friend, we got to stop feeling and start believing by faith. Faith has to take over, not feelings at that point in our life. And Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 8 makes sure that the facts are straight now. Well, he could have felt a lot of ways, but instead he said, you know what? I'm going to believe the facts by faith. And he did. Romans 8, 36. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, listen, I, I might be persecuted. You might be getting to me. And Satan, you might be putting me through a ringer, but I can tell you this, I'm not alone. I got the Lord Jesus Christ. He's right there with me and he's going before me and I'm simply going to follow him through the darkness and through the clouds until I get to a brighter day. He was cast down, he said, but not destroyed. Cast down, but not destroyed. Satan had hoped to discourage and even destroy the Apostle Paul and end his influence and impact on Christianity, but to no avail. I mean, why wouldn't he want to? The Apostle Paul would go on to write at least 12, maybe 13 books of the New Testament. He goes on to do an amazing uh, uh, work in starting New Testament churches. The impact that he had on the New Testament church toward this very day is, is well documented in the Word of God. 13 books, I should say, with possible 14 with Hebrews. If you assume he wrote Hebrews. You can debate that all you want. Either way, the devil's probably like, 13's enough. I'm going to get on this guy. Boy, did he ever. But I want you to think about this. The devil's trying to get to Paul. He's trying to wreck and ruin his life. He's trying to keep him discouraged and down in the dumps. And so he gets him even thrown into a Roman jail. But Paul in that Roman jail would write Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians as well as the letter to Philemon. He was cast down, but he was not destroyed. Paul's life and ministry was in God's hands. And he may have been, as we said, cast down, but he was not destroyed.
Satan can persecute and even cast us down, but he cannot destroy us. And finally, Satan can wish me evil and curse me, but he cannot stop God's blessing. And he can wish you evil and curse you, but he can't stop God's blessing in your life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 Blessed be God and uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Boy, that's a mouthful. There's a lot going on in that passage. It goes far beyond this world, this life. But even the devil, with all his power, is powerless to remove God's blessings upon our lives. Every truth and every promise would be null and void if he could only do so. But he can't. We see this in the life of Balak, of, 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 of ba- Balak, uh, who, who employed Balaam, who unsuccessfully cursed Israel. He sought to curse him, but he couldn't. In Numbers 23, 7, it says, And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram, Ar- 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 Aram, or Aram, there we go, and out of the mountain of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of of the righteous. And let my last end be like his. Man, he tried to get Balaam to curse Israel. But Balaam, as much as he wanted to get the riches, as much as he wanted to be, have the accolade and, and, and the honor of man on his life, the fact was is he just couldn't do it because God wouldn't permit it. In the end, we know that Balak would take the advice of Balaam, however, who would ultimately introduce a compromise into the nation and say, why don't you just go ahead and have your girls marry their boys and their boys marry your girls and eventually they'll fall into idolatry and then God will curse them. You say, separation's not a big deal. It was back then and it still is today. God doesn't want us mixing with the world. He wants us standing out. Satan can wish me evil and curse me, but he cannot stop God's blessing. So, is Satan's power unlimited? No, not at all. Satan certainly possesses tremendous power, and he exercises it in the midst of the world in which we live. However, that power is limited to God's veto power. Therefore, his power is not unlimited then. We've seen that he he can tempt me, but he can't make me sin. He can hinder me, but he can't stop me in the will of God. He can persecute and even cast me down, but he can't destroy me. He can wish me evil and curse me, but he cannot stop God's blessing. That's true in your life. It's true in mine. May God help us to never question our Lord, but instead to believe him and just to lean on him and not our own understanding. Praise the Lord. We serve a God that's bigger than Satan. He's the creator of all things, including the devil. And he knows how to put the devil in his place if he, need, if he needs put in his place. He's big enough to do that, God is. You know, we just keep trusting our Lord. And he'll give us the grace we need to get through life and to be victorious. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you do for us.
Thank you for just this simple lesson about, Father, just uh, our adversary. Help us, Lord, to realize that, Lord, we are, we are not victims of Satan at all. Matter of fact, we are more than conquerors. Lord, because of you and what you do in our lives, Lord, we are the victors. Help us, Lord, to never lose sight of that truth. Lord, no matter how much the devil tries to knock us down, help us to keep getting back up. Lord, we'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed today as the music plays. Won't you come if God speaks?